Hey, welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Spirituality with Sydney DeLorean. That's me. And guess what? We have a guest in the studio. How's it going, Scott McNulty? It's going great, Sydney DeLorean. Thank you for having me. Uh, pleasure as always. Yeah, we're here in my cold garage. We're wearing jackets. Yep, I did. I took my jacket off, and then I walked in, and I put it back on. It's a really nice jacket. <laughs> thank you. I got it, it at the jacket store. It's Yeah, it's a new yeah. jacket from the jacket store. It's very sharp. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, it's cutting me. It's what cutting. It's you? cutting me. It's very sharp. Yes. So. Oh, is that is that? Oh, uh, I I understand now. I get the joke. Yeah. See, I don't I don't even have kids, and yet I have dad jokes. Yeah. So I mean, it just happens. I think to any man after forty, you get you get dad jokes. You do get. You get it's like yeah. a venereal disease. You just get it. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> you're gonna get it. <laughs> I think you have to have sex to get venereal diseases. <laughs> dad jokes are the opposite. Uh, you have to not have sex to get them. So. Yeah. The, honestly, that's how that's I got true. them. That is true. That is how dads acquire them. That's and then, and then by telling them you have less sex, it prevents, prevents you from having more sex. Yeah, that's wow. Yeah, thank you. Facts. <laughs> it's all going in my notebook. <laughs> I got a notebook. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, someone sent Scott a notebook. <laughs> um, so Scott is here to talk about the newest Richard Grant book, continuing our series that has not much to do with sex, drugs, or spirituality, <laughs> but a lot to do with Richard Grant, who we both want to fuck. So that's how it ties into the show. Indeed. Yeah. I'm a heterosexual man, and I still want to fuck Richard Grant because I love him so hard. Yeah. Uh, I don't even find him attractive, but I... I would, in fact, sit on his face. I mean, I think it's the right thing to do. He's, he's a rugged-looking man. He has sleepier eyes than I have, though. Um, he does have the sleepy eyes. He has the sleepy eyes. Yeah. Uh, side note, if anyone who has hooded eyes has a mascara they can recommend that won't smear on their droopy eyelids, <laughs> send me your mascara recommendations. Like, DM me on social media or email me, uh, sydneydelorean at gmail.com. Because I can't afford Botox or a brow lift. <laughs> And, um, I just, the mascara situation is a disaster. It's just all on my fucking sleepy eyelids because I have mm. a stony baloney face. Uh, much like Richard Grant. Well, if you do, if you do send Sydney mascara, send me some too, because Father's Day is right around the corner, you know, in six months or so. And I want to get my dad some new mascara for his mustache. Um, good Christmas oh. gift, actually. For yeah, him. if you're new, if you're a new listener, Scott's dad puts mascara in his mustache to cover the grays. Yep. <laughs> uh, which right now on Shade Palace, the reality TV show that Zach, a uh, reality TV podcast that Zach and I do, we're covering Daisy of Love, which was a dating show on VH1 mm -hmm. in 2009, I want to say, and one of the characters, Fox puts mascara in his mustache and I took screenshots of it. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I was like, well, we know two people now in the entire world who put mascara in their mustache, Scott's dad and this fucking idiot. I, I feel better. I feel better about it knowing that it's not just uh, my dad. Uh, mm -hmm. My dad also will frequently give uh, press conferences spouting wild theories while the mascara runs down his cheeks. Yeah, who was that? Was that Giuliani? That was Giuliani, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just for men rolling down the cheeks. Oh, my God. Yeah, you saw those memes that were like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and it was like Mitch, I didn't see that one. Mitch McConnell's hands and then Rudy Giuliani's uh, drippy hair dye or whatever, and uh, Trump's obvious, like his makeup line between his hair and his face oh, yeah. and there was one other one it's just these fucking disasters because mitch mcconnell's walking around with purple hands and says everything's fine yeah what the fuck is up with his hands i looked into it and uh, you know old people bruise really easily and oh, yeah. so people speculated that maybe he had blood work or an iv that just turned his whole hands purple because he is a thousand years old yeah and when old people get like you know, bruises like that, and then it'll take months to heal. But instead of just being like, uh, you know, it's this, there's a word for it, like yeah. old people bruising, like I had blood work done. Um, he just was like, everything's fine. And it's like, your hands are literally purple. Yeah, and like, you know that he wants to mate with you when he bloats his neck sack. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, ooh, I find you very attractive. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I have a customer um, who is an old drunk who, you know, the type who comes in shaking, and he stopped shaking so bad after three vodka sodas, Dear but God. never fully stopped shaking. 
and for a while he had pink eye which why the fuck like do, do you really need to drink so badly that you are coming out with pink eye and it was then it was one eye and then it was both eyes and he just i was like he looks like he belongs in this picture set with these fucking other yeah like hot mess all these falling apart walking zombies like we're and he came in one day after getting a tattoo and he's just shaking like crazy and in the tattoo was on his forearm i'm like how the fuck did they tattoo you it looked good god bless the artist who did it because he's just fucking shaking that is gross yeah he's really gross He's the one who uh, he was saying once um, uh, he was missing, like he's new at his job and there was like a Labor Day or some fucking holiday, but he wasn't going to get paid for it because of his, the way his contract was. And so he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to try to work late the other days so I can make up for missing that day of work. I go, yeah, I get it. You want to get your paycheck for sure. And he goes, you don't understand, Sydney. When I miss a day of work, it's a lot of money. (laughs) And okay, I was, thanks. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I understand that you make more money than me, um, which if it's a lot of money, then it probably affects you less if you miss one day of work, if you make a lot of money. Yeah, that logic is totally reversed. I mean, if you don't make much money and then you miss a day of work, that's a big deal, you know, uh, if you're not on salary. So. Yeah, I would think so. But also, he took out an eight-year loan on a Ford, and I'm like, <laughs> no. first of all, you're an idiot. Second of all, you can't be as rich as you claim to be because you took out an eight-year car loan like wow what the fuck i i'm always amazed at um um people that are seemingly living on the margins economically but have lots and lots of tattoos i'm like that's thousands of dollars right there Mm -hmm. on your skin uh, maybe rethink your priorities. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm throwing, yeah, or they have tons of tattoos, but like the most fucked up teeth, and you're like, yeah, interesting choices, interesting yeah. choices. Yeah, maybe just go to the dentist instead. Yeah, of the I, and hey, I'm a vain person, but um, I, and I used to get Botox mostly for free, and then sometimes I'd pay for it with like a discount. But I haven't had Botox in years because I told myself like you can't pay for cosmetic stuff like that until you have zero credit card debt so it's just like oh yeah that's like that's my self-discipline like if you have zero debt and then you want to spend like three hundred dollars every five months on botox that's your choice but like yeah i don't know whatever i don't your dog just scared the shit out of me did he sneak up on you (laughs) yeah he sneaked he's talking about me like touched my hand with his paw he just stripped you what the fuck (laughs) yeah he'll do that you got you got under the table demons (laughs) well he is a demon for sure indeed um okay so what what were you talking about mustaches shaky drugs and then south of all (laughs) the deepest south of all is richard grant's new book it came out what two months ago uh, I think maybe a little before that it was, uh, it came out during quarantine. It came out during, yeah, 2020. Cause so. we got it the week it came out. Yes. Um, yes. and so to give a little background in case you aren't a longtime listener that <laughs> listens to all of our Richard Grant episodes, he's a travel journal journalist from London. He lived in Tucson for a while. Him and his girlfriend moved to New York and then they ended up buying a old plantation home in rural Mississippi. Um, and his book about that transition was, uh, called dispatches from Pluto. And now he wrote a book about this town in Mississippi called Natchez, which I only knew about because on the show Nashville, (laughs) which is a terrible, horrible uh, soap opera starring Connie Britton. Um, one of the characters uh, moves from Natchez to Nashville, and when she gets disillusioned with the country music scene, she wants to move back home, and her friends are like, what you going to do? You're going to move back to Natchez, get pregnant? Like <laughs> It's like this, like I don't know. It's seen as a downgrade. So that's all yeah. I knew about it before um, this book. Well, I mean, I don't know a lot about uh, biology, but I think you can get pregnant in any town. 
Yeah, I know. But that's what people think. Like if you decide to like give up your career or that you, they're like, oh, what are you going to do? You're going to move back to your hometown and just have a bunch of kids. And I was like, yeah, a lot of people do that. And then the grandparents are around to help raise them. Yeah. And it's very helpful, actually. How about that? Yeah. In fact, I, I would I would recommend as someone who doesn't have kids and has no idea what they're talking about. Uh, if you're going to have a bunch of kids, do it in your hometown where you got all the grandparents and friends around because it takes a village. It sure does. <laughs> it, sh- it sure does. Um, so, yeah. Had you, had you heard of Natchez before this book came out? Um, oh, that was a, the cutest little dog sneeze right there. <laughs> yeah, Ralphie's really monopolizing this podcast. Um, I don't think I had. Um, if I had heard the name, it was just in passing. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know that it was known for like having all these old plantation houses that are very ornate and and beautiful and i certainly didn't know that it you know that it was like what's that place it's like the second largest slave auction site in America. oh my gosh it's been uh, so long it's since called we... the, the forks in the road forks in the road yeah, yeah where they yeah. would do the um slave auctions at yeah um and they only recently got like a monument acknowledging it it's barely a monument too if you look it up it's like uh first of all this guy this citizen this uh, African-American gentleman that Richard Grant meets, he's the guy that like led the crusade to, to have some kind of marker for it. And it's actually, I looked it up online. It's kind I mean, it's kind of a pathetic marker. It's, it's sad. Like it should be something nicer, but you could tell like they spent like no money on it because uh, the town is very proud of its, uh, of its past, but only a one-sided <laughs> version of that past. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, you're looking at it now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like someone emptied the leftover cement from like doing a cement mm. job and they put some like, some are they, chains, some chains, chains in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it looks like shit. Yes. I would be fucking furious if I were a black person. It's terrible, right? Oh my god. Well, I'm fucking furious and I'm a like, super white person, but yeah, they have like it looks like they use some leftover cobblestones to make a little walking path from a bus stop and then they just dumped because there's no like clean borders to it. They just dumped some leftover cement and chains and then put a milk jug with some dead flowers in it. Yeah, you can tell it's totally homemade and uh, yeah, it is. It's pretty sad. So Basically, there's a lot of uh, these beautiful old plantation homes, and there's a lot of, you know, uh, descendants of slaves that live in this town, and the whole town really only cares about the plantation homes. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's it's weird, this, like, what would you call it? Like, it's like an antebellum cult where yeah. people, their whole being, all they care about, the whole purpose of their life is preserving yeah. This version of the old South, and they are obsessed with these homes Extremely. and the furniture. Yeah. And um, and so it's weird, okay, if you're so emotionally connected to this era of history to then ignore the fact that um a huge component of that era was slavery. Yeah. You know what I mean? If this is the huge, this is this big hub because it's on the river. Is it on the Mississippi River? I assume? Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, like, this was this huge trading post for slaves. And the reason there are these big, gorgeous homes is that they were like built and managed by slaves. Right. <laughs> and so, if the whole economy is built on slavery and you want to preserve the South, you need to acknowledge what created it. Yeah, it's really, and I think, and the whole book basically is an exploration of that, of that history and what it's like to live in a town that's like this, where they're, they are kind of the, the, the upper class white people, some of them are starting to come to terms with Mm -hmm. with that and and make concessions and and acknowledgement of it. But uh, it's definitely, you can tell uh, by the people that he talks to in interviews that it's, uh, it's a tough pill to swallow for a lot of them. And uh, me, I mean, like when I was reading it, I was like, (laughs) <laughs> again and this is just my perspective i mean i've said i didn't grow up there i have no emotional connection to the place mm-hmm. but i was like burn the whole fucking thing down like <laughs> like it's my whole thought is like just burn them down burn the fucking houses down like i i don't know why anyone would preserve these houses so. yeah well okay so basically richard grant has a friend named elodie pritchard who owns a restaurant in natchez yeah. and he starts staying with her on weekends and kind of interviewing residents of the town and they do this thing called oh my 
my God, what is it called when they visit the homes? Oh, uh, I think it's called pilgrimage. Yeah, it's called yeah. pilgrimage. And so basically, I think what happened is as the economy started not doing great in Natchez, they would they hyped up tourism by doing these yeah. pilgrimages where tourists could come and they could visit all these homes and the owners would dress up in their hoop skirts and uh, entertain uh, tourists and tell them the history of the home and this and that. And then the other um, subplot is this uh, – what is the play called that they put on every year? Uh, I can't remember now. <laughs> I, it's something like Celebration or something like that, but that's not it. It's but, yeah, yeah, but it's like uh-huh. a – it's an annual play where basically the the teens put on a play about the history of Natchez and they'll – crown like a king and a queen and it means a lot for their social standing and like their parents will lobby and spend thousands of dollars to basically get their kid elected as like yeah the the amount of money and energy that goes into this is was insane to me like reading about it i couldn't believe it yeah and so then there's these subplots because there's two garden clubs in town right warring garden clubs and garden clubs don't have anything to do with gardening um, yeah, <laughs> zero. They're more about like historic preservation and society shit. And so like one is kind of really pushing to have the history of slavery put into this play and other people have pushed back and it goes on and on. But so what's weird is, yeah, that the citizens don't want to acknowledge it because basically they see it as a bummer. Yeah. They want this play to be people in their pretty hoop skirts and talking about, I don't know, the war and stuff, which they fucking lost. Although hmm. allegedly Natchez was like, they straight up surrendered to the uh, Union. Yeah, twice, apparently. They were like, yeah, yeah that's fine. We don't we're, we don't want to fight you. Yeah, but- they were the only town that did not like participate in the uh, secession. They were like, no, we don't we don't want any part of that. Um, and I forget why it's not for any moral reasons. There was some kind of like practical reason for them not to do, they, they basically, I think it was all down to trade because they, mm-hmm. they grew a lot of cotton that they were selling to the North and they were like, well, we don't want to piss the North off cause they buy our cotton. So we're like, fuck you. We're not going to get involved in your stupid war of secession kind of thing. Which makes yeah. sense. Cause that <clears throat> in, I don't know if they talk about it in the movie, but in the book gone with the wind, Early on when all the Southerners are like, whoa, there's going to be a war. We're going <laughs> to win the war. And um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Clark Gable's character. Uh, uh, Rhett Butler. Rhett Butler is like, there's not going to be a war. If there's going to be a war, we're going to lose. It's foolish. Because um, basically <laughs> he's saying like for trade reasons, like we don't have the means to win a war. Like yeah. we don't have like the ports to get the arms and stuff. Like there's no, we are totally dependent on the North for like trade. And if they cut us yeah. off, we're going to shrivel. Um, and y- y'all Southerners are dumb. Um so, yeah, I assume that's, like, Natchez, like, looked at, like, the situation and we're like, we can't fucking win a war against the North. Like, yeah, we'd be crippled. Um, so, yeah, you'd think that maybe they would uh, want to, in revisionist history, kind of, like, brag about that and be like mm. – the Confederate pride in the South is weird. You'd think that they would want to be like, oh, yeah, now that we all agree slavery is bad, like, we straight up surrendered. We didn't want to, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, they would want to try to hype themselves <laughs> and be like, we didn't even fight in the war. We, we yeah. you know? <laughs> um, but they really hold on to it. It's just, it's interesting because when they're telling the stories of these homes on the pilgrimage tour, they don't really talk about the stories of the slaves who like lived there and managed the homes. Um, Cause there's another, there's a whole other story, the historical story about this slave and his oh, journey. Yeah, Prince, yeah. Um, and, which I guess we can talk about, but like th- the interesting thing about them ignoring that is like, okay, I've toured in New York. There's a really great museum called uh, the Lower East Side Tenement Museum. Mm. And it's an old tenement building. And yeah. they talk about, I think it's on like Orchard Street, which used to be a fucking orchard. And they, this building like sat like closed for like, I don't know, almost a hundred years. And so when someone bought it and reopened it as a museum, they were able to like, they have rooms set up saying this is what it looked like in 1860 in this room. This Mm. is what the building looked like in 1890. Oh, cool. And they have, um, it's fucking wild. I can't recommend touring this place a lot 
enough. And so they have it set up where they're like, okay, during this era, the people who lived here were Jewish garment workers. Mm. They were peace workers. This is what their station set up. Because, yeah. like, the story of a place and the building, I think, is best told through the people who, like, lived and maintained it. Yeah. And if we're talking plantation homes, I mean, we're talking about slaves. Yeah. <laughs> They're the people who made those houses homes. Yeah, they built them, they managed them, they ran them, they did all the cooking and the cleaning, all the maintenance. I mean, the white people just basically walked around wearing nice clothes. And, yeah, you know, like and the and white eating. and the white children, <laughs> the white children, oh my god, I can't pronounce my Rs now. The white children are were raised by the slaves. That's right. So like the and that's something we talked about um from dispatches on Pluto is the sort of like intermingling of the races yeah. where it's like rich white people's children for now hun literally hundreds of years have been raised by black people yeah. in the south <laughs> yeah so and from a narrative uh perspective that is interesting so i don't know if yeah. i was trying to entertain tourists i would want to talk about those stories and those people um, but I guess it's just like too much of a bummer for them. Yeah, and I think he goes on a couple of those house tours and like at least a couple of them he asks, you know, the woman that's running, it's always like the, the homeowner that yeah. like runs the tour and he, and he's like, what about, you know, if you ask like, what about slaves? And a couple of them will say like, oh, we didn't actually, like the people that lived here, they didn't have slaves. Uh, they, they talked about, they said they had, um, servants you know mm. they were paid servants like they didn't own slaves and it's historically that's completely wrong i mean like richard grant like d does the delves into the history and it's like no there were no there were no paid servants in uh in in natchez you know what i mean like it, they were all yeah. black slaves you know what i mean so it's it's like this lie that you know and he even says he's like i don't believe that these people know that they're lying or they're being malicious he's like i believe that they believe that yeah but it's like you need to just do a little, uh, the tiniest bit of research, you know, well, a cursory Google search. You would know? Help. <laughs> it, it's weird that I think it's like a yucky part of American history that people don't want to acknowledge um, to the extent that, okay, so my stepdad, Eddie Blackman, who is a black man, <laughs> yeah. um, his family is all from rural Georgia mm -hmm. and he will swear up and down that his, his ancestors were never slaves. That's interesting. And I'm, I just <laughs> like, listen, I don't know his genealogical record, yeah. but I think they said that like 90 something percent of black people in America are descended from slaves. Right. So like, I can't remember or that, or, or that they, and they had like slave master blood mixed in there. I read a whole oh, fucking sure, article yeah. about it and I'm a retard and I can't remember things, but like, yeah, he's like, yeah, my my whole family historically traces back to rural Georgia, but like we, they were never slaves. Yeah, it's probably not really possible. I know. And yeah. so it's interesting to have even a black person like say that cuz they don't I I don't know what what it would have what psychologically would prevent him from wanting to accept that like yeah, your ancestors were brought over here by force and enslaved. I don't know, but um, there's, a, there's an interesting like human uh, need um, to, you know, it's like this weird psychology thing that people have where it's like, and you've met people that, you know, they can't comprehend or they, they can't allow themselves to believe that like America in general did anything, has ever done anything wrong. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, oh, like slavery, it's all like a misconception or a misunderstanding. Oh, we didn't really slaughter the Indians. It was more of a, you know, like a mutual agreement that they would just go die, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, there's like there's these weird rationalizations that happen. And it's weird. Like you see it even with people that like, I'm not into sports, but like I haven't spent enough time with around people that are diehard sports fans. They even have like, to me, it doesn't make sense. Like they, they get like really into their sports team. And, and I always want to say like, you know, that like no one on that team is like from this town. Like they're all from different places. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't understand. And the guy that owns it is probably from somewhere else. It's like, so how is it representative of your town and your identity? Like, it's not, you know? Those are just T-shirts they're wearing that you can buy anywhere. You yeah. Know? I mean, but it's like, this is like this weird thing in humans where it's like, no, like, I, whatever I identify with as a person, 
Like it has to be good and positive, which I understand the need for good for high self esteem. But maybe you should separate your own person, your own personage, uh -huh. from a larger entity if you want to feel perfectly okay and great about everything that you are. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. And denial of the past, obviously, like it never. If you deny it, it doesn't lead to solving or correcting any of the problems. Yeah, usually the opposite effect. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and that's what you'll see in America. And I think especially through, like, the Black Lives Matter um, moment, we've seen a lot of people posting about the difference between German Germany's reaction post-Holocaust uh, yeah. and how, you know, they built mo monuments and acknowledgments and stuff to, like – acknowledge the wrong that was done and help the country heal and move forward versus America's reaction to both slavery and Japanese internment is totally total denial. Yeah. Because, hey, at least slavery is taught in school. I didn't learn, and I went to like a decent, I had a decent primary care education system because I didn't go to school out here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like they never even talked about Japanese internment camps in in high school, like yeah. junior high, high school. It was not in our history books. Right. Which is fucking wild that America is just like, oh no, <laughs> I never do anything wrong. It's everybody else's fault. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> that and uh, I mean, it's like I learned about Vietnam in, in school. Like you learned that there was a war, you know, and that, you know, and I remember like with my teachers, like in middle school, it was kind of like, yeah, well, we sort of kind of lost that war. It was kind of a draw, you know, sort of thing, yeah. you know, and then like uh, if you watch Ken Burns's Vietnam, like his 12 hour documentary mm -hmm. series on Vietnam, holy shit, like we were really not the good guy in that war. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and like and also uh, before us, like France was occupying Vietnam and they were really not the good guys. Like they fucking, you know, basically like turned that. They, the, France turned Vietnam into like what we did with the Indians. I mean, they just went in there like, this is ours. Like we own it. You know, Jeez. we're going to fucking kill everyone, you know? And I mean, and the whole thing is just like colonialism and brutality. And, and you're just like, yeah, this is bad. Like sometimes your country does things that are not good, you know? And it doesn't mean that your uncle or dad who fought in Vietnam is a bad person. If anything, it means that they're a victim too, because yes. they were forced to go somewhere and kill people and, and get killed and get wounded for something that was unjust. And, and you should be angry about that. And, and, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a hundred percent the thing about being like, just like a piece being under the control of these greater entities, which inherently are usually bad like let's be real yeah. like i don't think no government is like this beautiful savior like people want right. to think that they are yeah I, I, you know how americans are always are like oh, canada i'm gonna mm. move to canada canada is great yeah. and you're like uh yeah canada has some fucking problems too like so and there's a, apparently a lot of uh trump supporters uh in like canadians that think trump is really cool like well yeah, yeah. they're <laughs> much i think it's a global thing and i'm not yeah. super politically astute but like Canada's having a neoconservative yeah, it's happening thing every, and, and now, England know. and it's, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, so it's, it's interesting. What I like about books like this versus like, obviously when I try to learn about like global issues, it's so big that it's your so brain much, yeah. can't understand it. But yeah. like with this, we're just dissecting the history of one specific town and you can comprehend it because you can learn it through personal narratives, which is yeah. how I'm able to remember things is like as soon as it's tied down to like these individuals, I'm like, OK, I can remember this. And so the story that it, it cuts in between him, Richard Grant, learning about Natchez and, and going through and kind of being the Jane Goodall observing mm, yes, the, yeah. uh, the weird culture the the other chapters that intercut those are the history of this one guy named Prince who where in Africa was he from uh somewhere in West Africa yeah, yeah. he and it's been a while since we read the book sorry guys and this is where I'll get another review going she didn't do her due diligence and <laughs> blah 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 uh I guess I'm successful because I get negative <laughs> reviews now or People are like talking. That's shit. how you know you've made it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like I'm literally a person who works sixty hours a week recording a podcast in my garage. So yeah, this isn't going to be an NPR style podcast. I don't have a research team. Yeah, you're not um, Ken Burns. <laughs> I'm not Ken Burns. I am one person with one brain that is very very sleepy. Uh, so anyways, um, this guy was 
uh, African royalty from one tribe. He was kidnapped by another tribe, and that tribe sold him into slavery. Yeah. So he was brought to um, America, and then he was bought at auction um, by this guy, and uh, he tried to escape and they really like broke his will because yeah. I think he was like he was out. He was escaped for a couple weeks, but he was just like hiding in a tree. And so he finally surrendered himself back because he's like I, he had no means to get home, and he was gonna starve and die and whatever. Yeah, I mean they're in the middle of a swamp in Mississippi, so there's yeah. nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. And so he um, ended up becoming like kind of like the head guy, like the head slave. Yeah. Um, and was very valuable and. Somehow some guy came like decades later after this guy who they called Prince because he swore he was royalty and everyone was like, ha, 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 Prince. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, if I can interject Yeah, yeah, please, please, because yeah, so you have a better memory than me. The, uh, there was a, a, a Scottish physician uh, that was exploring Africa around this time, and he got – he was like uh, part of this exploration party, and he got lost – and he actually was taken into this village where he met this prince. Uh, he was the son of the king. And they became, like, really good friends. And the Scottish physician lived there for over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually married one of the native women and, like, had a kid with her and everything. But then eventually he did go back to the coast and caught another ship back to England. So then years later, as Sidney said, this uh, the, the African prince gets captured himself, gets enslaved, sent to America. Like, 20 years he's in America, he happens to meet that same Scottish doctor like riding a horse through this town it's in Mississippi. Fucking wild. Totally wild, yeah. And they actually, like, they hug each other and they're like, oh my God, because they were really good friends 20 years ago. And the Scottish doctor's like, yeah, I moved to America, you know, blah, 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 you know. And he's like, what are you doing here? And the guy's like, I got captured, you know. And, and so this Scottish doctor goes to, like, the important people in town, like the press and I think some attorney, he, he, and he goes like, listen, this guy, he's no ordinary slave. Like he's a prince of this, this large tribe in, in West Africa. You know, he's like a really important guy. His family, you know, they have a lot of gold. He's like, you know, I'm sure if we can return him back to Africa, you know, the, the owner, the slave owner would get compensated. You know, we got to do something. But even then it, t- it still took like another 20 years before, you know. Yeah. Cause the yeah. slave owner didn't want to sell him cause exactly. he was so valuable. Yeah. And then he went on like this fundraising tour where they dressed him up like um i don't know like a, like a, genie. Like a moroccan yeah yes le, le, yeah like a genie exactly yeah it's like like these cartoonish clothes yeah and so he <laughs> would go around like fundraising um it it's a it is a wild story and then they talk about the um this guy's the the slave's children and then the his slave owner's children who like one of them they were trash i mean listen they're slave owners so they're yeah. not good people but like his one the slave owner's one son like killed his girlfriend yeah. and like they're fucking trash they were and so it these stories intersect and it's interesting the idea that these like fucking people were like oh oh this guy's a prince then he definitely doesn't deserve to be a slave. Yeah, I thought that was funny too. Like, and you're yeah. like, but like, wait, what does, but everyone else does? Yeah. Like, what are you, because like, I just, I think about it like, okay, if there's like a bunch of hostages being held in a bank by gunmen and they're like, oh, well, this guy's, this is Jeff Bezos. Like, yeah. We, he's the CEO of Amazon. He doesn't deserve this. And you're like, no one deserves this. You right. Fucking idiots. Like, no one deserves this. Um, but, uh, you know, I guess that was the way things were at the time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, so one of the interesting things was, like, the lady, his friend, Elodie, she's pretty liberal, and she's the head of the more liberal gardening club. But she did the whole campaigning to get her son to be, like, king of the pageant. Right. And they have a giant portrait of him in Confederate uniform because that's, like, when you – I guess when you win, when you get to be king of the, the yeah. fucking play, you <laughs> king get – King of the shit show. King of the shit show. You get this portrait done of you in Confederate uniform. And Ugh. so Richard Grant's like, doesn't this weird you out? Or, and she's like, I guess I'm just used to it. So, yeah. And these are the liberals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's a definite – I mean – 
It's a weird lifestyle, man. <laughs> it is weird. And they he meets like the one gay couple who he tours their home and they're really into like Confederate era art and architecture. Yeah. And they're gay, but they're super racist. Yeah, that was the other thing too, is like they they were they really freaked me out. They weirded me out, that couple. Yeah. Cause like they're like you said, like this gay couple, openly gay couple in the South, but they were like really racist like more racist than the non-gay people yeah. that were walking around were like it's like what is wrong with you so i don't know man what is it there's i'm gonna butcher it but there's a malcolm x quote where he says when a when someone comes to america or when a foreigner comes to america the first uh word they learn is nigger and what he hmm. meant by that was that historically people who were categorized as other or outsiders would become racist against black people because and and that's the history of irish people right like because irish people weren't quote-unquote white um right and in order to bring themselves up to assimilate with white people irish people like basically oppressed black people yeah and um i read a book a million years ago i'm getting to the point where i'm like so old that i'm like i read this 20 years ago so i can't (laughs) remember it but there's a book called how the irish became white Hmm. and it's basically about how when irish people were immigrating to america the irish politicians back in ireland were like you need to align yourself with the abolitionists like you have an opportunity to help end slavery Hmm. and the irish people in america were like or we could oppress them too and <laughs> elevate our status. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's and, – and that's what happens with systems is it pits people against each other. Um, I learned a little bit about that in Richard Grant's Africa book about the Hutus and the Tutsis. Oh, yeah. Tutsis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tootsies. Uh, the, the Tootsies and the Hutus, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. I just, like, yeah. everything, every time I, I say Tootsies, I just think I have, like, a, I tried to make, make a... Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> well, yes, that too, because we watched it recently, and Zach's never enjoyed a movie more. Um, <laughs> but movie. I tried making, like, an Instagram to sell feet pics, and it was called Working Class Tootsies. Oh. <laughs> and I would just, like, post pictures of my feet and be like, oh, I worked so hard. My <laughs> working class Tootsies need your money. And no one gave me any. Um, it's a shame. But yeah, I think that's like a, it's historically what underclasses do. So then you wonder the psychology of like a gay couple in the South, where yeah. again they are oppressed, and they're like, "Yeah, we're we're gay, but we're not black." Like yeah. it's and it's disheartening because what you want is for oppressed people to like unite together right. because there there are more oppressed people than there are oppressors. Well, have you ever like I remember being a kid in school, it's a couple of different times this happened and. Like, totally not proud of it, but it's, like, feeling slightly marginalized myself because I wasn't, like, a cool kid. Mm -hmm. But then, like, joining in with other kids who were making fun of another kid. Because you're like, well, I don't want to be the loser. And so if this guy is the loser and I make fun of him, too, then, yeah, it elevates my status. Yeah. Yeah, And, it like, I understand because I've done that. I think every kid has done that. And I (laughs) think – it's why I think most bullies are kids who have, like, pretty bad home lives. Um. And I think, like, for the child mind, it makes sense because when you're hurt or threatened, you lash out. And it feels good for a child who feels terrible to go, oh, wait, now I'm better than someone. Right. It feels like winning. But when people carry that into adulthood um, because they haven't emotionally matured, it's disappointing. Yeah, and it's kind of, like, gross. It's like seeing – uh, like an overgrown child or something. You know what I yes. mean? Like, what happened to that child? You know what I mean? Like, why why does he look like an adult? Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> because you just think, okay, the older you get, the more you know people, the more you mm. meet people, the more your empathy should grow because you begin to understand things. Like right. when you're little and you don't understand things and you don't understand people, you don't understand their histories, how you know, someone's background could affect their present. You all, you, you judge based on like this blank slate. Right. But as you get older and you understand things more, the idea of still being hateful towards others is, you know, it's really disappointing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, people like that, it's always a mystery to me. And I've met, there's, there's this gay couple that come into my bar and like one of them was saying some pretty misogynistic things. And I had Mm. to like, really correct him and be like hey Mm -hmm. listen yeah like both of us suffer and are like 
are basically like victimized by people for our quote unquote like weakness or femininity. So maybe right. you should have some more empathy for this. Um, yeah, I, I really corrected. He was he was saying like when the lady the lady who accused Kobe Bryant of rape, which it seems pretty obvious that Kobe Bryant like violently raped this woman. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem to be that there's any gray areas in that case if you read about it. And he's like, well, she went to his hotel room, so she was asking for it. And okay. I, I was like, cause he like, I can't remember the details right now, but he violently assaulted her and yeah. she like tried to leave and he restrained her and she pled and whatever. And I just told him, I was like, I was like, when I was violently raped, I went to that guy's apartment. I didn't consult to anything that happened after that. Right. You know what I mean? So like the idea that you can just look at a human being who was victimized and go, well, they were there. Yeah. <laughs> they must've wanted it. It's like when prostitutes get murdered and, yeah. and they're, they're, the cops are like, well, I mean, she was a prostitute, so it was a, it <laughs> well, obviously she should have been murdered. They yeah. were living a high-risk lifestyle, and yeah. you're like, but it shouldn't be high-risk. Yeah. That's the And thing. also you shouldn't murder people, <laughs> regardless of what they do for a living. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very disappointing. Um, and we're making it sound like Natchez is like the worst city in the entire world. (laughs) No, it actually does sound, I mean, yeah, you're right. It does sound, so Richard Grant, because he's an amazing writer and just like you said, like the Jane Goodall of, of people, you know, he's like an anthropologist. He does make these people sound really fascinating in a positive way. I mean, everyone has their, their traits that are perhaps a little strange to Mm -hmm. others. And there are some disappointments in some of the people that you meet in, in this book, but Overall, it does sound like a fascinating community, and uh, and and he he doesn't pass a lot of judgment. What he does is he like I mean everyone is like humanized, and everyone yeah. he is able to without judgment explore the peculiarities of this community, mm-hmm. um, which I th- is what you want really in a in a travel writer to like without yeah. judgment. tell you what a place is like and what the people are like i think that's why he is such a great writer and why we enjoy him so much because everywhere that he goes in his books whether it's mexico or africa or you know even here in america different parts of america like he explores you know really interesting people you know Mm -hmm. some of whom are wealthy some of whom are incredibly poor and everything in between but he never does say like well this guy's an asshole like he never even when someone really is an asshole he just presents them exactly as they are like he interviews them they say their own words and he just describes them and describes the situation that they're in and the reader is able to make their own decision on like well what kind of person is this and i feel like everyone that he meets i have some kind of empathy for like i feel like okay i can see where you're coming from like i understand this is the environment you grew up in you know there's there's just varying degrees of grayness everywhere you know yeah <clears throat> um and also i it's interesting because from the show nashville i got the impression that natchez was like a poorer town but it seems to me that natchez is like one of the most expensive cities in mississippi it has a yeah. lot of old money and then obviously a lot of tourist money yeah um i follow Elodie, the friend in the book, I follow her on Instagram and she recently posted a house near her for sale that was listed at almost $600,000. Oh, wow. And it had a beautiful garden, but it, the house was, it was four bedroom, four bath, but it wasn't spectacular. I guess it was spectacular in that it was built in 1786 and it still Uh, existed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I looked it up on Zillow and it had a Zillow estimate of $400,000 and then it was listed at like 586. And I was like, because I follow all these old home blogs where a house like this, like basically anywhere in rural America would probably be be like $120,000. So I was like, why is this house over a half mil? Like, and, and it must be because it is in Natchez in this area that has a dense population of preserved like pre civil war homes. Yeah, I mean they the houses do look pretty. I I googled I when I was reading it I googled Natchez and looked at images and mm-hmm. it's like yeah, they have all these really amazing beautiful, you know, they're like American palaces basically. I mean, they, unfortunately they were built by slave labor, but, yeah. but I mean, yeah, they are beautiful to look at and the grounds are beautiful and the landscaping is like, oh yeah, it's really pretty and it's right on the river and, you know, um I mean, I would, you know, if I had the time and inclination I would go there at some point. Yeah, it'd be cool. I mean, I like seeing things in person. I don't understand the obsession because these women, 
Well, okay. There's one thing I like about Natchez, which is that apparently the society is totally dominated <laughs> totally. by women. <laughs> yes. The men are all the type of husband where they've been married for 40 years and they just don't even talk anymore. Yeah. They're just done. <laughs> it, and, is a, it is a female-run society. <laughs> um, and that was an interesting dynamic. But these women's fascination, like, with wearing their hoop skirts, like, basically, like, fucking Gone with the Wind cosplay. Yeah. Because they'll, like, get dressed up in their hoop skirts to go see these pageants and then to do the home tours and, like, different festivals. And I'm like, why? I don't know. Yeah, it is is really strange. It's, uh, you know. Because it's such a brief era in history. Yeah. And so the idea of being like, I get the idea, like, I'm not really one of these people, but like the type of people who are like, they like to get dressed up, like to go to the opera, like that type of person. I'm going to put on my gown and my gloves and whatever. But the idea of being like, I'm going to put on my fucking hoop skirt and my (laughs) bonnet, like what? Yeah. Well, and to me, and it's also like, it's no different than people that do well, like one of his other books that we read American nomads when he goes to the rendezvous. Yeah. With yeah, those fucking, uh, the mountain men, you know, uh, lookalikes or, <laughs> or, or cosplayers. And, and yeah, and everything had to be like exact, like nothing could be mis- machine sewn. Like it was yeah. very era accurate. I just don't, I don't relate to that, I guess. Yeah. And my mom was involved in a group out here called the mule skinners and they do like Western, it's basically Western cosplay. Like they, you know, dress up as cowboys and uh they would wear like all kinds of authentic weird shit my mom had all these dresses that were like she spent tons of money on yeah you know and uh i'm just like yeah all right i mean whatever you're into i guess you know but it's like there's a slightly um you know as you as you always say i don't want to yuck anyone's yum but it's there's a slightly darker element to being like i just want to dress up like a slave owner (laughs) you know what i mean yeah it just feels weird to me like i would not want to do it and i especially would not want to dress up in a confederate uniform at any time in my life yeah because like i can understand like cosplayers a little (laughs) bit more like it would feel fucking cool to dress up like a badass bitch like yeah i don't know michonne from walking dead or like i know a lot of people like to dress up like harley quinn because you're like dressing up as this like more powerful being than you right and so i kind of understand cosplay in that aspect where like okay you know i work at starbucks my life's kind of powerless but i get to go to this thing and i get to dress up like a fucking hero like someone Mm -hmm. who's like just badass like that makes sense to me because it's a sort of i don't know positive escapism yeah but it wouldn't feel like positive to me to put on like a tight corset Mm -hmm. and put on the attire of someone who was like totally controlled by her husband and the only person they have power over are their slaves yeah like it just i don't that doesn't that's not aspirational to me and to me (laughs) because i love clothes and i see clothes as something to be aspirational which is like how if anyone out there has not seen uh, Paris is Burning, which is a documentary from the late 80s about the drag ball community in New York. And basically it's a bunch of like poor ethnic minorities who dress up and do these balls where you're playing a character. And uh-huh. like someone are, says like basically, okay, in my life, I'm this person. I'm picked on. I'm spit on. I'm poor, whatever. But I can make a suit and I can go and I can compete in the category of like executive realness. And for Mm. one night, I am that CEO. I am that executive. Like to me, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, um, but yeah, so like, I don't know, for me, putting on like a a clothing is like, okay, what do I, who's this person? Who do I aspire to be? Yeah. I in no way aspire to be some like fucking plantation owner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a weird, that's a weird vibe to step into. Yes. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't relate to that. <laughs> yeah. It's all very strange. Um, and you know, they, and he talks about too, how like, you know, the one half of the town is like really wealthy. And then there's like a, a very large, um, like African and na- African American neighborhood or neighborhoods like mm-hmm. part of the town that it's extremely run down and you know and poverty stricken and and he's like yeah none of these people that live in this part of town are are getting any of that tourism money or have anything to do with these pageants or these home tours I mean they're completely it's like a different 
city, a different it, world. It, yeah, it's yeah. like they've been erased. Their, yeah. their mm-hmm. ancestors' historical contribution to the town have has gone un, unacknowledged. And now the money that's being made off of that isn't trickling down to them whatsoever. Right. And mm-hmm. they're on, I think it's on the wrong side of the tracks as well. Yeah. So they're <laughs> like, it's just like, you know, they don't want the tourists, don't look over there, don't whatever, don't look at the descendants of the people who built this town. Um, and that's really yucky to me. And I can't imagine what it would feel like to be one of those people and be like, yeah, my history and contribution to this city is basically like swept under the rug. Yeah, it would feel, I I would be angry. Yeah, it would be really fucking, and then you get the shittiest fucking monument that's (laughs) ever existed. I know, it's so sad. off. (laughs) Fuck off. I mean, that said, because people, like, a lot of times, like, I have a a fascination with the South, and I would love to move to the South, and people are just, like, villainize it, like, oh, it's so, like, it's all bad. And I'm like, there's a lot of really great people who live in the South. And Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you... You have a lot of people who maybe don't want to be there, but because of for socioeconomical reasons, they're like they're they're trapped there. Yeah. And so to just go, oh, the whole it's all terrible. And it's like you're there's a lot of humans there living human, great human lives, being people that like, I don't know. Plus, it's be- it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I just finished watching. Uh, well, I think we talked about it off air. The show P Valley, which is oh, about yeah. a strip <laughs> club in uh rural mississippi on the river um but it is all about the black people and the community and it's really good and everyone should watch p valley what, what is that on what? stars damn you got all the channels delorean well <laughs> le- stars i do not regret getting i do not because i got it to watch uh seduced which is the nexium documentary series which is oh, way yeah. better than the vow um and then I watched P Valley and then they have all these great movies on it. So I don't regret getting stars. Um but I don't know what I was what I was on about how much I love the South. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really cool. But uh you gotta watch uh, The Devil all the time because that'll give you a <laughs> a yuckier <laughs> feeling about the South. <laughs> yeah. Well it's it's more the darker side. I mean it, it it is actually all it's more like the poor white trash side of, of the South. Yeah. That's it's pretty why gross. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta watch Murder on the Bayou on Showtime. It's a okay. docu-series about this town where they found like five prostitutes dead over the course of oh, a couple wow. years. And they uh, talk about how it's tied into the police and the politicians and the drug trade. And wow. I don't want to spoil it. Um, but Murder on the Bayou is so fucking good. And I'm it's, totally going to have to I have to get Showtime just for that. Is it Showtime? Yeah, it's yeah. Showtime. Yeah. And I think Love Fraud's on it, which Zach loved. I was OK with Love Fraud, but I thought Murder on the Bayou was so good. Um, and that, yeah, it's just about basically this fucking, you know, economically blighted town and how the police are evil and corrupt and big surprise uh, and ever and everyone's on crack <laughs> the, big gr- shock. <laughs> the girls will be like my daddy was the best daddy everybody wishes they had a daddy like my daddy so me and my daddy started smoking crack together when i was about 14 jesus what a great daddy um, he's a giver yeah a real he's giver a he shared, shared yeah. his crack dude people who drew drugs with their kids is a weird thing huh I, yeah, I had a friend in high school here that was like that. I would go over to his house, like, after school sometimes, and his dad would come home from work. And, uh, like, we would, I remember, like, just sitting in the living room, like, me and, and Rick watching MTV, and then his dad would come home and, like, light up a big-ass bong and then pass it to Rick, and I'd be like, that's gross. I'd be like, that's not right. It's <laughs> not right. I yeah. think, like, Tatum O'Neill, her dad would do drugs with her. And then, obviously, Mackenzie Phillips did drugs with her dad. And then they had that sexual relationship. Ooh, and, like, yeah, yeah. It's just weird. It's just a complete lack of boundaries in parenting. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, like, I, I don't I don't demonize pot, you know? But mm. at the same time, like, don't give it to your kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, it's, uh... I had a friend whose mom, like, bought him weekly pot because, basically, if he was stoned, he didn't bother her. Yeah. Like, oh, he God. had some behavioral problems after the divorce, and the yeah. mom realized that if she just gave him weed, that he would just not oh. leave his room. Oh. And that's weird to do, because he's... Lazy fi- parenting. Well, and he was 15. Ooh, yeah. And so I just... You shouldn't encourage drug use in people whose yeah, no, brains we, we, aren't finished forming. Yeah, we were, like, 16 when this was happening. When I yeah. Was, yeah. And I was always like, yeah. That's not cool, man. Yeah. yeah. And he would always offer it to me, too. And I'd be like, uh, no, thank you, yeah. Mr. Gibson. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> uh, I didn't yeah. smoke weed until I was, like, 
20 or something like that. So oh. for the first time, yeah. So. I started young, but it wasn't – my parents didn't get it for me. Yeah, I got it myself. <laughs> yeah, and there's a difference between being like, listen, I know my kids are smoking weed, but at least they're doing it, like, at home. Yeah. Like, they're hanging out with their friends smoking weed, but at least I know they're here and they're safe because there are those parents. Um, but there's the other the the other ones where the parents are actually doing it with the kids. And I'm like, dude, get your own fucking friends to do drugs with. Like, did you really yeah. have kids just to have friends to party with? Like, yeah. Because you could just make adult friends to do these things with and it would be more appropriate. Once I started driving, my mom said that uh, I, if I wanted to uh, drink, that I could drink it at the house. Yeah. She's like, if you want to drink, like, you know, you can drink here. She's like, don't. Basically, she's like, don't let me catch you drinking somewhere else or, or especially drinking and driving. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's like, if you if you decide that you want to have a beer, like, have a beer here. Like, there's beer in the fridge. I give you. But, I mean, I was <laughs> I was kind of a boring kid. I was like, no, I don't, I don't really want to drink. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I didn't. When I, right, right when I got, like, right at the end of high school, like, literally, like, on graduation day was when I think I had my first beer. And I got drunk, like, on graduation oh, day. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I, did, I got wasted. But, I mean, that's the, fir- that's the, only, that's the first time I ever drank. <laughs> so yeah. I was all like, yeah. All right. <laughs> I am. Um, yeah. It was love at first sight. <laughs> I had a similar experience. I was like, this makes me forget how terrible my life is. I'm going to do this a lot. Um, Yeah, I think that's good advice for everyone is just fucking drink at home. Yeah. And normalize adult sleepovers, which like, okay, so Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, I think it was Kristen Bell on Marin or something, but she was saying how her and her husband, like if they want to, he's sober, but she's not. Yeah. But if they want to like, drink with their friends and party and their other friends are parents she's like we have a big house like we'll just have like two couples they can bring their kids the kids can all play like oh nice we can drink wine together and guess what everyone stays the night so no one drives home drunk yeah and maybe we'll get breakfast the next morning and like it's fun for the kids they have a sleepover it's fun for the adults because we can drink and not drive and i think that's like great advice because well I'm a bartender, and when I leave work at 2 in the morning, I am conscious of the fact that I'm on the road with everyone else who was on the other side of what I've been doing, uh, Yeah, and I don't like that. And and you recently had something very bad happen to a coworker yes. because of drinking and driving, um, and it just – it really upsets me. Yeah, it um, that was a wake-up call for me too, uh, and it's just – yeah. A coworker of mine, his wife, was killed by a drunk driver this week, so – uh, and his son is hospitalized currently. So uh, very, very sad. So. It's very sad. So everyone, if you're going to drink, just drink at home. Spend the night at each other's houses. Normalize that. Normalize that shit. Sleep on your friend's couch. Yeah, for sure. Like, sure. the idea of, like, I have to get home. <laughs> I just got, I mean, I get it because I love to be at home. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it's like, uh, don't get don't get crunk. Well, because this, <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens is people, they have they go, oh, well, I'm just going to go out for like one or two drinks, which alcohol lowers your inhibition. So you have two drinks and you end up having four. Yeah. And maybe just like acknowledge, like plan your life a little bit more in the way that like on Thanksgiving, you don't eat a big breakfast or lunch because you know you're going to have a big dinner. Yeah. Like you just know, hey, I'm going to eat a lot. Like yeah. just go, okay, well, if I'm drinking, it's Friday night, I'm drinking – like, let me come up with my plan of action where you either Uber to the bar, so you have to Uber home, right. or you, like, make friend plans with a friend. Like, we're, yeah, let's all just drink at your place tonight and we can crash. Like, yeah. it's, I just, yeah, it's drinking. I, I think about it a lot, especially after, like, my car accidents of the past year. I'm just, like, dri- I'm turning into Rob Love where I'm, like, <laughs> driving and I'm, like, driving is unsafe. <laughs> this is so there's just all and the traffic here is really bad because yeah. everyone lives in phoenix now and i'm just like this is so unsafe that we're all in these metal boxes going 80 miles an hour i just like this isn't right and then the fact that people um are drunk uh doing that i'm just like that ain't good you might get into an accident with like a married woman who then wants to come to your house and and like break up have you break up her marriage you know what i mean like that could happen <laughs> That's a thing that could happen to someone, to some random person. <laughs> just supposing. <laughs> just supposing. Just supposing that some random woman, you could get in a car accident with some random woman, and then you... Um, and then five years later, <laughs> she wants to 
use you as a lifeline out of her marriage. <laughs> she, she, she wants to fuck you so she can go home to her husband and be like, you have to divorce me. I cheated. And now I'm going to go live with this other guy that I cheated on you with who I once got in a car accident with five years ago. Welcome to Scott McNulty's life. <laughs> it's like that. What was that show? True Detective where, you know, Woody Harrelson's wife like fucks uh, Ma- Matthew McConaughey yep. just, just to basically get Woody Harrelson to leave her. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, now you have to leave me because I fucked your partner. <laughs> yep, you have to. You have. Yeah, that's what's happening in my life. Yeah. Only none of us are as good looking as those people. <laughs> um, uh, my favorite is that Scott told her like, hey, you know, I just I'm not really comfortable like meeting up with people right now because you know i hang out with my 98 year old grandfather yeah and she's like i understand can i come to your house (laughs) Uh, and then i say yes because i don't know how to say no to people (laughs) like yeah just come over i guess i don't know aren't you married (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean maybe i'm a square but i'm just like yeah why why if you're a married person and you're traveling without your spouse would you want to meet up with some random dude let alone at his house there's no way that's not sex right there's no way that this is a non-sexual hangout that's kind of what it's seeming like to me yeah uh yeah and i don't want to have i don't want to have the sex with a married person no i have some scruples not many but some dude that's one of them (laughs) yeah i don't even want to have sex with a married person if that married person is my own spouse so absolutely yeah that's That's the worst worst. yeah no one wants that yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah i mean eight months into quarantine and zach and i are getting bored enough that we might actually have sex with each other so i don't know you know, give it another day. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. You know, <laughs> there's maybe always tomorrow. They'll, they'll lighten travel restrictions and we, yeah. can, <laughs> we can keep not having sex with each other. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We have sex. Um, how do you how do you think I convince a man to let me paint his house pink and buy a bunch of shitty little dogs? Oh, yeah, that's all. That's all pussy the right power there. Of that, the puss. That, that's <laughs> power of the pussy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, Zach's like you. He doesn't say no to things. Uh, Yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) The other other day, I was like, I really wish you would have, like, put your foot down about Ralphie. Like, we love Ralphie. He's our son now, but he's – he has problems. He's difficult. And Zach's like, I mean, I did. And I was like, no, you didn't. (laughs) And he's like, I told you I really didn't want another dog. You said you needed another dog. What else was I going to do? And I was like, you could have said this is my house. I don't want any more dogs. Like you, then, then you just would have been angry for months. And, well, yeah, I was like, you could have put your foot down and said, you know, and you could have reasoned with me and been like, and he, if he very fairly could have said, you work all the time, so when <laughs> you get another dog, I'm raising it, and I don't want to raise another dog. Like, but he really didn't put up a fight, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Cause he because he's a wise man. <laughs> well, yeah, basically he was like, you were just gonna, you would have, what was I gonna do? You were gonna be mad at me, and I was like, I would have been mad at you, but like. Well, I, it's not like I can afford to move out. Like, <laughs> I would have had to give in. It's yeah, then you have to live with a mad woman. I mean, that's this is a lose-lose situation. Sydney. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just was like, you. I mean, he could have said, this is my house, so I have final say. Because ultimately, he does. Like, it's his yeah. house. Yeah, but I feel like you're trying to, now you're trying to blame him for your bad decision. <laughs> Which was, which is Ralphie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we blame each other and. Um, Perfect. Listen, a less strong couple, it would tear them apart. But uh, absolutely, it's really brought us more together how much we regret yeah. getting Ralphie. I mean, I, I, listen, I regret getting Jasmine and there's no one to blame but myself. It's just me and this dumb cat. That just showed up and was like, I live here now. Yeah, and you're like, oh. Scratches the shit out of me and just, you know, this is a miserable animal yeah so yeah Yeah. but you love her i guess i do it's it's painful to admit but yeah yeah i feel (laughs) like as boring as this year has been just like i mean i work and i come home it's fucking miserable right we're all living these miserable lives at least ralphie has kept things um dynamic on the home front there you go where you're like oh this month we're working on this barking 
now he stopped barking, but now he's pooping. Like it's it's been really fun. It's really it's given us a project. Yeah. It's kept the home life interesting and dynamic. So um, I should be thankful that we have this shitty little dog. That's what I'm going to say the next time I'm cleaning up cat vomit from my rug. Is this is so dynamic. It's so dynamic. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Which is so I guess I'll be saying that about three times a week then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> All right. It sounds great. That's exactly what I say. Well, and some days I'm like. I'm so tired. Like I'll get home from Starbucks at two in the afternoon and I'll just be tired and ready for bed. And you can't go to bed at two in the afternoon. And then Ralphie will shit on the rug in front (laughs) of me and start eating it. And then I will get furious with rage and it really wakes me back up because then I have to shampoo that rug and then the other rug and then I have to clean out a pantry because everything feels unclean once, <laughs> once you've seen shit inside your house. Then it's I, true. it really, the adrenaline and the hate that it um, incites in me, it really, it's invigorating. <laughs> and so I should thank Ralphie for making me a more productive person because yeah. I probably would never do my dishes if I didn't get worked up into a rage like that and feel the need to obsessively clean everything. That's so. great. Yeah. I think it's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we sure did. I think we did justice to this book. I think so. uh, I think we actually, I think we made it sound awful. And it's a really good, entertaining book. Yeah. Um, It actually really is. And you learned a lot about history. Yeah. So it's called The Deepest South of All, and you should check it out. All right. Yeah. Uh, Happy Hump Day. (laughs) Happy Hump Day. (laughs) Keep on humping.